This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 20. Four years ago today, we gathered in this cafeteria and for the first time opened God's Word. We prayed and we sang, we shared communion, and we constituted as a new church. I'm pretty sure that's also when the ice machine started being uh, so ornery every Sunday morning during this time, spitting ice and making sounds. By the way, if, you're the fir- if this is your first time, be listening for that at some point during the service. It's always unplanned and unwelcomed. On that day, we said the mission of the Trails Church would be to glorify God by making disciples, by God's grace. Glorifying God by being and making disciples is still the heartbeat of our church these four years later. This was the great mission that Christ gave to his church before he ascended on the clouds to be with the Father and will be the mission of the church until he descends on the clouds of heaven. Our great desire has been to worship God, to magnify his greatness in everything that we do, from the way we approach corporate worship to how we disciple the next generation, from planting community groups to church-wide picnics, from serving on various teams to financial giving, The chief end of everything we do as a church is nothing less than the glory of God, to worship Him. Of course, for that to be true of our whole church, it must be true of each of us personally living lives of worship. An anniversary is a wonderful opportunity to pause and remind one another of why we exist And so on this anniversary Sunday, let me ask us both corporately and to each of us personally, is the chief end of your life to worship God? My prayer is whether this is your first Sunday here or your 208th Sunday, that we would leave this place with renewed passion to make our most supreme aim to worship God. Some have called the book of Exodus the gospel of the Old Testament, and surely in our study of the first 19 chapters of this great book, we have heard the good news of how God redeemed his people from captivity in Egypt in order that they might be set free, not just for freedom's sake, but free to worship him. And haven't we come across some unforgettable scenes, a baby hidden in a basket, a burning bush, a locust swarming plague, and an angel of death, manna falling from the sky, water coursing from a rock, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Yet in each of those remarkable scenes, and while they each play a vital role in this story, we've learned that the book of Exodus is not primarily a book about Moses or the people of Israel, This is a book about God. It is his story. God is the main character of Exodus. 
And the section we begin today is one of the classic passages in all of literature. It would be difficult to overestimate the role of the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, or the storyline of the Bible, or even in our world today. These verses contain some of the most central and glorious doctrines of our faith that are easy enough for a child to understand. Kids, you'll be able to understand this. Yet, still cause the most mature believer to throw themselves on the mercy of God in Christ. Martin Luther once said, Although I'm an old doctor, I never move on from the childish doctrine of the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. And I pray that we would never move beyond these doctrines as well. Whether you hid the Ten Commandments in your heart as a young child, or whether if you said, just go ahead and I'll recite the Ten Commandments, you have a hard time finding more than two or three in your memory. I trust that the, each of us will have truths to learn and relearn through this study. And I believe that the Lord will prove himself faithful to teach us about himself about our need for His grace, about how these Ten Commandments point to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and then how we are called to live as the people He has redeemed. The first three verses of Exodus chapter 20 are brimming over with truth for us to understand. Although the Ten Commandments are primarily a list of obligations that Israel must fulfill, they also provide wonderful insights for us into the character, the nature, the perfections of our God. And I cannot think of a better passage for us to study on this anniversary weekend as we think about being a church who centers on the worship of God and how each of us personally are called to have our lives center around the glory of God and to be worshipers of Him together. And so in this first and greatest commandment, I want to highlight three things about the character of our God. First, He is the God who speaks. Second, the God who redeems. And third, the God who alone is worthy of worship. Would you please stand to your feet with me as we read from God's holy and inerrant word. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The prologue to these Ten Commandments tells us that our God is the God who speaks. He is not silent. Verse 1 reads, And God spoke all these words, saying, and as we think about the glory of this scene, I want us to understand how he spoke to the Israelites at Mount Sinai was a distinct moment in the course of redemptive history. The verbal communication of God was different in several ways from the rest of the laws given to Israel. Let me highlight just a few of the ways uh, that these Ten Commandments are unique, or the Ten Words, as they are often called. The first thing is this. God spoke directly to the people. 
in days past and in years to come, God would speak to his people through a mediator, through a prophet. However, at the foot of Mount Sinai, all of the people heard the thundering voice of God sounding through the air with their very own ears all at the same time. This is a unique moment when God speaks and they, he spoke directly to his people. Second, only these ten words were written by the finger of God on tablets made of stone. We learn that in Exodus 31 verse 18. Now, of course, the finger of God is anthropomorphic language. God doesn't have a finger. But God wrote on these tablets of stone his very words. Other times, uh, Moses or Elijah or Isaiah were instructed to write down what it was God wanted to say to the people. But in this case, God carved on stone tablets his words and then gave them as a gift to his people. A third way they are unique, the Ten Commandments are written in the second person singular, addressing, as it were, every single person individually as they all heard his voice. Now, most ancient laws were written in the third person plural. Now, you're Texans, you understand this. This would be like, all y'all, okay? All y'all. But no, here it's as if in the second person singular, God looks at each person as he gives this command to his people, for these people and throughout time, as we will see in the weeks to come, and calls each of them to himself. It's as if he was looking to them each face to face, saying, like, you do this, you do that, you do this. Fourth and finally, the people were instructed to keep these words with them everywhere they went in a special place. These Ten Commandments were to be placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, which we will come to in Exodus 25-21. These words would remain with them not only through the wilderness wanderings, but they would make their home in the Holy of Holies. Because of all of these ways, the Ten Commandments stand apart from the other laws and even set themselves apart from other parts of the book of Exodus, They've been referred to as the climax of the book, its central and exalted theme. It is no small thing that God has spoken to his people. It is no small thing. He is the God who makes himself known. The God of self-disclosure, who speaks a language that we understand. Of course, this was not the first time that God had spoken ten words. Ten different times. In Genesis chapter 1, we hear repeated the phrase, and God spoke. And he spoke into being everything that does exist. And apart from him, nothing exists that does exist. He spoke ten words in Genesis 1. At Sinai, God again speaks ten words that if guarded and obeyed, will form Israel into a new creation. You see that? The very one whose voice said, let us make man, now speaks to the people he has chosen and redeemed. God is making himself known through the giving of the law. And each word he gives to his people 
in order for them to obey, tells us something of his own perfections. Now, in the first half of Exodus, we've seen God's desire to make himself known. First, God spoke of his blazing holiness on this very same mountain, but only to Moses as he said his name. God made known his power over Pharaoh and the Egyptians through the ten plagues and parting of the Red Sea. God spoke to his people of his love and provision as he has gone before them and provided for them every step of the way through the wilderness. Still, God's plan was not only to make himself known to Israel and not just to Egypt, but to every tribe and tongue and nation of the earth. God has spoken and made himself known. In Exodus, he is the God who speaks. In the New Testament, he is the God who has spoken. There is nowhere that God has spoken more clearly than in Christ, who is the Word of God incarnate. The book of Hebrews says it like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You woke up today because Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. Every week when we gather, I loved hearing these stories on the video of the values of the word of God and the centrality of Christ and how the gospel is the fuel for everything that we pray happens. None of this happens in our own power or strength. But each week when we gather, we open our Bibles and we read and we preach from God's word where God has spoken and God still speaks to his people today. And so brothers and sisters, I just encourage you, I plead with you. This place is full of people who love the word of God and that is his grace at work in you. You used to not love the word of God. You used to hide from it like the darkness hides from the light. But now since the spirit has opened your heart, made it new, you love his word. What a gift that is as a preacher to know that we come hungry and dependent and desperate to hear from God week by week. Don't lose that. Fight for that. Cultivate that. Pray for that. He is the God who speaks. The second truth we celebrate from this text is that our God is the God who redeems. Verse 2. Before the first command is spoken by the voice of God or etched on a tablet of stone, the Lord lays the foundation of this covenantal relationship on who He is. And on what he has done. Look at the language of verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. Now this expression becomes one of the great formulas of scripture. Used 125 different times to describe the character and the graciousness of our God. Now we've, we've walked the trail through this passage before but... I think it would serve us well here to do it again as we lock in on these Ten Commandments. These verses are small, 
but they are massively important for us to understand. And I believe they are best understood by the three truths they highlight about the Lord. First, God tells them who he is. He is the Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord is his divine name, Yahweh. And as we hear that name announced, our minds are sent back in time to this same mountain when Moses was alone, standing in the wilderness, barefoot and talking to a bush. And at that place, in that holy place, in that holy moment, the holy God introduced himself to a trembling mortal man. Moses was welcomed into the burning presence of God. It was there in Exodus 3 that Moses asked God what his name was, and he replies, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Now it's as if God declares his, whole, his name in front of the whole congregation, welcoming them into his burning holy presence. He is the Lord. The second truth clarifies how the Lord is their God. This is the same pattern we see unfold in Exodus 3. After Yahweh reveals his name to Moses, he clarified, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He made it clear, he's not a God that the people should know about or a new God the people must learn of. Rather, he is the God who has always been and always will be the God of his people. We learned in Exodus 19 that because he was their God, the Israelites were unique among all the peoples of the earth. They were his treasured possession. Do you remember these precious words? They were his treasured possession, his royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. And all of that was true because he was their God. The final truth the Lord rehearses is what he had done in saving his people. He says, I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Lord makes sure they recognize the way that he heard their cry, that he saw their suffering. He remembered his covenant and promise, and he knew his people. And it was his mighty hand and none other, his outstretched arm and none other that redeemed them through the tenth plague and saved them as they walked across the dry ground of the Red Sea. The Lord demonstrated his power over Pharaoh and over the Egyptians and all of the gods of Egypt as he brought them out to create for himself a people. This verse, Exodus 20, verse 2, provides the foundation that the Ten Commandments are built upon. Yahweh is their God because he is the one who rescued them. Do you remember in verse 19 how they accepted the terms of his covenant? They said, whatever it is you speak, we will do. We see that in Exodus 19, verse 8. Now before we dovetail into some of the commandments, let me emphasize again what I have highlighted before. Israel was saved before the law was given. The order is critical that we understand. It was grace before law. Say that with me. Grace before law. They did not become the people of God by keeping the rules. They became his people when he set his love upon them in eternity past. 
God did not look upon their suffering in Egypt and say, okay, here's ten rules, and if you keep them perfectly for a couple of years, then I'll come and deliver you from slavery, and then I'll, you'll be my people. No, he redeemed them when they were trapped in slavery. He saved them when they were at their worst. And so it is with us today. The Lord didn't say to us, well, I see you there in your sins, and so here are some rules that I want you to keep. And if you keep them for a designated period of time, then I will save you. That's not the gospel. That's not good news. That's how every other religion works, but not the gospel. It's backwards. It's upside down. No, Ephesians 2.4 makes it clear. God, being rich in mercy, because of, not our works, but because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Not through works. Paul writes in Galatians 3.11, Now it's evident, no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. As we must understand that grace comes before the law. We'll have plenty of time to unpack that more in the weeks to come. But for now, that must be just planted in your heart. So on this day of days here at the foot of Mount Sinai, gathered in the shadows and smoke, Israel hears this good news of who their God is. He is the God who redeems The final truth we look at, and the primary concern of the first commandment, is teaching us that our God is the God who alone is worthy of worship. The God who alone is worthy of worship. Verse 3. And as we arrive at the first of these ten commandments, the narration changes from Moses speaking on God's behalf to God speaking on his own behalf as all of the people heard his voice sounding through the air, these words, you shall have no other gods before me. Remember, the words are written in second person as the force of these words lands on every single heart. The words, the phrase before me literally means before my face. Sometimes that can be translated into a spatial sense, such as have no other gods in front of me or in my presence. If we took that literally, it would mean that people were forbidden from bringing their foreign idols into the place where God was worshipped. So it can be translated spatially, but it can also be translated Like this, the phrase before me can be translated over against or in opposition to. So it could rightly read, you shall have no other gods over against me or in opposition to me. Ultimately, this command is telling the Israelites that the God who speaks, the God who redeems, is alone worthy of worship. So no other gods are worthy of worship. There are two aspects to this command, stated negatively, stated positively. The first is to forsake 
all other gods. Now, the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. Egypt, a nation overrun by false gods. They were a polytheistic culture with, with made-up gods that seemed to have dominion over everything from fertility to frogs. And now, the one true God who has revealed himself is, if you will, he's laying down the law, clarifying there is only one God. And not a man-made God. He is the unmade, eternal, unchanging God. And so Israel is to forsake all others. Now the language here is, is used in ancient wedding ceremonies, and we still use it today. Part of the vows written in the Book of Common Prayer is forsaking all what? Others. This is what God's calling them to do. Just like a bride and a groom forsake every other person on the planet and are holy unto one another. Mind, heart, body, completely for one another, forsaking everyone else. Why? We sang it earlier. Because only thou art holy and there is none beside thee. The second aspect to the first commandment is for the, for the people to worship God alone. This command requires Israel to orient and center all of its life, every single sphere of life, around God alone. He's to be the blazing center of everything. I just wrote down different phrases of what's in view here. Exclusive loyalty, undivided allegiance, total devotion. And of course, at the heart of this command must be love for God. As I sat with the first commandment this week, I couldn't stop thinking about the great commandment and what a wonderful pairing there is before the two. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which says, as Moses has gathered all of Israel, he says, hear, O Israel. And the first thing that he wants them to hear is you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is a kind of devoted love, love, worship to God in response to who he is and for all that he's done. This week I was in Nashville and I rode with an Uber. Is that the right way you would say that? I took an Uber? I don't know. I was in an Uber. Actually, it might have been a GMC, but it was an Uber. And our driver had a Dua um, an Islamic prayer hanging from his windshield that was meant to be prayed every time he left his house. It caught my attention. I asked him about it. And this is what it read. In the name of Allah, I place my trust. In Allah, and there is no might nor power except with Allah. So to translate that, in other words, you might say this man believed that there are no gods other than Allah. The problem is that Allah is no God at all. He's a God that was made by men. The problem is that the, the very God who spoke into existence all things and the God alone who can give redemption to people, the God of Adam, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David. Our God today is the one who alone has might and power. 
He is the only one worthy to be worshipped. Now you might think to yourself, well, I would never consider praying to another god. I'm more sophisticated than that. I've grown up in the shadows of Christendom. Yet that does not mean your heart is not free from idols. You may have not verbalized that prayer, but your life has been a prayer to many different kinds of idols. An idol is any good thing that we turn into a God thing. So is the chief end of your life to worship God? Or have you given to other things, other people, other idols, your exclusive loyalty, your undivided allegiance, your total devotion? Philip Ryken is the president of Wheaton College in Illinois and spent many years as the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I was reading a sermon of his last week and he created two tests from this passage, two tests to see if we are people who would worship God alone. These are very simple tests, but they're very difficult tests. Two questions, two tests. The first is the love test. And here it is, one question, what do you love? What do you love? Um, What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? What in your life, if you lost it, would you feel like you had lost it all? Origen wrote, what each honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, that for him is his God. We'll spend a lot of time next week talking about idolatry, but for today, we've got to just briefly mention these two things. The first is the test of love. I think the questions themselves are they're searching, so you can spend time thinking about that. The second test is the trust test. What do you trust? First test, what do you love? The second, what do you trust? Some people trust in man-made gods. Others trust in themselves. Self is probably the God of our age. Some trust in their finances, others in their career, some in their abilities, others in their resume. Some trust in their children. Calvin said the human heart is like an idle factory. We create things that we will trust. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. The thing about these two tests is that, well, none of us can pass them on our own. We need one who can pass the test. And so to a room full of lawbreakers, people who have known the first commandment and broken it, let me conclude by calling us all what to do when we have failed. Two things are required. The first is repentance. We must repent that we have not worshipped God alone, that we have turned and worshipped created things rather than the uncreated one. Repentance is simply telling the Lord we are sorry. You know, all of your sin, the most important thing is not the horizontal dimension of it, as grotesque as that may be, but the fact that you have sinned against a holy God. And so repent. I love this prayer by William Cooper. He said, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee.
That's what repentance looked like. Whatever you've put on the throne of your heart, to tear it down and pray that God would rightly have the rule and reign of your life. Paired with repentance is for us to look to Christ alone with these two things we've talked about, love and trust. Um, We'll be looking at laws for the next few months. So I hope more than 10 of you show up next week. These are so important for us. These weren't laws just given for us to forget and move on from, but laws that were fulfilled in Christ. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, says, Christ fulfills the law that he spoke at Sinai. That's good news for us. Israel is often called the Son of God. And they went into the wilderness and broke the first commandment. We'll see in almost no time they break this commandment by worshiping other gods. But Christ, the true and better Israel, went into the wilderness and though tempted in every way, proved his love perfectly pure for the Father, including being tempted by Satan himself, who said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 9, bow down and worship me. But our Savior would not bow the knee to another. His ear was tuned to the heartbeat of the Father, and he perfectly obeyed every law that we never could. He upheld the first commandment in the place of his redeemed people. So as a day like this, when we think about what it means to be a church that exists to glorify God, let me remind us it begins with us being individuals, people who love and trust God alone. And so together, let's repent of things that, and anything that is beside Him in our devotion or before Him in our allegiance. Let's be people who could hear the question, is the chief end of your life to worship God? And by God's grace, say, yes, that is the beat of my heart. And for our entire church, if someone would ask us, is the chief end of the Trails Church to worship God? We say, by God's grace, yes. Are we doing this perfectly? Not a chance. Lawbreakers, every one of us. Sons and daughters redeemed by God, every one of us. So let us be a people who say we will have no other gods except the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who speaks and is known, the God who redeems and saves, the God who alone is worthy of worship. And let us pray for his help. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it shines reflecting your goodness and glory and the truth of who you are. Let us live in the light of it, walking in the light as you are in the light, welcoming it to search us. And where we've broken your law and your command, let us repent quickly and turn to Christ. Let us be a people who worship you alone, who stand in your redemption, and whose ear is attuned to your word. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.